Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 108 of the MTB podcast, presented and hosted by Worldwide Cyclery on location in Sedona, Arizona, in a garage, kind of, an Airbnb. I am Jeff. I'm Jared. And I'm Liam. And I'm Adam. Uh, This podcast was a little bit off the cuff. We happened to be in Sedona for the Mountain Bike Festival. Uh, It's snowing, but we wanted to record a podcast because we happened to be hanging out with Adam Miller, the founder of Revel Bikes. He was on episode 92 of the MTB podcast. It was one of the fan favorites. We talked a lot about Revel's founding, Adam's history, creating a bike brand, manufacturing in Asia, suspension platforms, a ton of stuff. What else did we talk about on that episode? Gosh, we talked about how uh, I, I you, you broke, broke your ankle f- right before the episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> your, your yeah. foot I think was on the table most of the time. Definitely yeah, swollen. The episode it, had it to be elevated. It, it did yeah. end up getting actually black and blue. I thought huge. Jared was faking it a little bit, but he wasn't. It was real. It was know. not ideal. Not ideal. But uh, we did talk about some bike stuff, which would hopefully be useful and valuable and insightful and interesting to you mountain bikers out there. Uh, hopefully this episode airs. Uh, this this whole thing is a little bit jerry-rigged. We've got two separate laptops recording two separate mics, a GoPro filming this. This, this whole setup is, we've never done it before. I have no idea if it's going to work. So that's all I got to say. Yeah. So maybe this conversation will just go down in history and stay in this Sedona garage. Hopefully people watching this on YouTube like the bunk beds in the back. Yeah. <laughs> Some nice bunk beds. They are awfully uh, nice. So let us uh let us let's let's dive into some interesting things that happened at Revel lately. Uh Adam told us it was called a smush. So the last time you were on the podcast you talked about uh Y Cycles, which was the you called it a sister brand to Revel, I think. Is that what you call was that what you yeah, considered we, it we've prior? Used, yeah, we've called it sister brand, other company, other brand, two two brands under yeah. one roof. It was a yeah. titanium only mountain bike brand that kind of lived alongside Revel Bikes, which is a carbon-only mountain bike brand. Exactly. Um, and now you have so eloquently smushed them together. It's, a, it's the, the proper business term. Was Smush. Smushing Smush. the brands together. Yeah. <laughs> so what, the Y-Cycle's name will sort of be sunsetted, and all of those titanium bikes will live on, but they will just say Revel on them, right? Correct. Yeah. Nothing else? Well, did you, did you decide to, like, shove one bike under the rug during the process, or no? No, actually, all cool. all the all the bikes will will live on. Which was a hardtail, a gravel bike, the a, a couple of hardtails. Yeah, yeah, so we two have, hardtails uh, and a gravel bike. We right? have a like a twenty nine er, you know, more standard hardtail, um, really versatile bike. Then we have a twenty nine plus hardtail called the the Wayward, which is like a bike packing adventure overland type bike. Then we have a fat bike called the Big Iron. Um, which is actually quite popular for us in the in the winter. We're based out in Colorado, so we, we did you bring one here to the Sedona Mountain Bike Festival, which ironically is covered in snow this year. We have about forty two demo bikes here, and and the the one bike we did not bring to Sedona was <laughs> our fat bike. <laughs> Massive oversight, <laughs> rewriting it. Oh man, oh, that's yeah. We, we would have done pretty well if we if we had fat bikes here to demo in Sedona. Yeah, that would be sure. cool because yeah. the Sedona Bike Festival, which was supposed to kick off officially on Friday, right? Uh, rain or shine, rain or shine and snow, but then it was canceled Friday. Um, cause it got Sedona got what eight inches of snow on Thursday, yeah, close to a foot. Yeah, we woke up and, of and snow. yeah, you we guys were, were already here. We were ready to go do our, our load in and get our demo booth set up and and you know start circuit people on bikes. And we just uh, you know, pressed snooze and kept on sleeping. And there, <laughs> there was nothing happening that day, 
I think our, our Airbnb ran out of power for about 12 hours. So we were sitting in the house using a phone for a Wi-Fi hotspot to try to get our website all updated and ready with this new brand smush that we did and wearing puffy <laughs> coats. It was an interesting day. It's better now. It's going to it's gonna be a fantastic Yeah, it'll weekend. turn around. Yeah. It'll turn around. Let's, a little let's muddy, hope. but... Yeah, mud be. and snow and hopefully yeah. not sticky mud. But yeah. It'll be perfect. We'll it'll see. be a good time regardless. Just our bike's going to be involved. TBD. It's hard to say. It's a bike event, but we might not actually ride bikes very much. <laughs> well, we're talking about bikes, so. Yeah, that's yeah, true. We will we talk are. about bikes regardless. Yeah, indeed. A lot of stuff has happened at Revel. So the smush, so Y-Cycles being sunsetted, turning into Revel. Uh, you guys also opened Taiwan facility. That's that's some pretty cool, interesting news. Uh, I know the last podcast we asked you a number of questions about manufacturing in Asia, and um, I've personally learned a lot from you about that topic and your insight and takeaways. And just I feel like you're a lot more open, honest, transparent, and candid about that, uh, which is cool because so I mean, what, what percentage of the bike industry is manufactured in Asia? 97 90 at least yeah yeah 98 yeah. every bike that you know we all ride and talk about is it's all made in yeah Asia. they do a phenomenal job making bikes yeah absolutely um and it was, it's just cool because you're a lot more open about it than most people kind of just try and neglect or hide that for whatever various reason but um tell us about the taiwan facility what's what's going on there yeah, we're we're super excited. We we now Revel Bikes has a branch office is the official term I believe for um, our own facility, our own um, business in Taiwan. Uh, so we officially, I guess you know, opened it back in December. Um, I'm getting on a plane here in a few weeks to go back and and work there a little bit more. But I absolutely love working in Taiwan. Um, it's this, you know, it's this island uh, near China, but totally separate from China. Uh, and basically, the island produces bikes and computer chips, and you know, some other things too. But that's what they're—that's what the place is known for. So, Taichung, Taiwan, specifically, is kind of like the, you know, the Silicon Valley is for tech companies. Taichung is for bike companies, and we have this facility there now. It's actually—it's—it's it's a. I'm just thrilled it's this wonderful huge gigantic warehouse that we can grow into um and you drive down the street and you just see the headquarters of all these major bike brands all within like 20 minutes every company just has their big office there whether you know a lot of people manufacture there but a lot of it now more of the manufacturing has moved to countries like china or vietnam or myanmar cambodia even bangladesh and india now there's there's manufacturing taking place um, but the headquarters are usually still right there in Taiwan. So you walk down the street and it's like, it, it's just crazy. Like you're in just like bike Mecca right there. So now we have our own place there and I'm quite excited about it. Yeah. What, what takes place there? Is it the actual manufacturing, the assembly, just sort of the office work? Like what happens, what's going to happen in this facility? Well, right now it's pretty small. So we have, we have 32, uh, people in Carbondale, Colorado, and then we have four staff in, Taichung, Taiwan, actually starting April 1, we're adding our fifth person. So we're, we're starting to build out the team over there. Um, it'll be a little bit of everything. So right now it's, it's frame assembly, warehousing, shipping, logistics. We can, you know, do all the boring, you know, supply chain stuff that I never thought I'd, you know, be, be learning about when I decided to start a bike company is like, that's been our life for the last years, figuring out, you know, shipping consolidation. And if you, you know, bring in a product from Taiwan versus Vietnam and how the taxes work and the duties. And then if you combine it into a 20 foot container and we have 10 frames over here and then tires over here, then, you know, what does that do to, 
you know, help make things more efficient as we're shipping products all over the world. So um, I've, I've gotten to learn a lot of things about supply chain and logistics that I never knew existed. Uh, but at the end of the day, if we can do all that stuff better, that helps us, you know, have more resources to make more good bikes, to get more bikes and, you know, all over the world to help bring costs down eventually. Um, and a, a huge thing, you know, the part I'm, I'm really most excited about is the potential um, really everything we're doing in at our Taiwan facility with controlling our own assembly and sourcing will help make our bikes better and better. So we'll have all of our bikes, all of our frames will be fully assembled by Revel employees at our facility in Taiwan. And then those frames will ship to Colorado where they get fully assembled into complete bikes, um, or they'll ship to our distributors in different countries all over the world. Uh, a lot of other brands will do a similar concept to us. Some do the exact same thing as us, but a lot of them work with third-party assemblers in Taiwan or China, which is also a great way to do things. But in my mind, we're a pretty new company. We're actually, we're celebrating our fourth birthday tomorrow here in Sedona. Nice. Um, nice. So you guys are all Yeah, invited. the Sedona Bike Festival was the launch of Rebel, right? We launched Rebel four yeah. years ago uh, tomorrow at this event, which is, mm -hmm. so it's kind of, this is like a special event for us. So, and then here we're at year four, we combined, you know, our Y-Cycles line into Rebel. So it's kind of a, a symbolic uh, thing. But we're, we're, the, we're a relatively new company in the big scheme of things. And my goal was to set up all of our logistics and facilities and assembly and sourcing and manufacturing processes to be able to scale into a, you know, really incredible, you know, high, high, high end company that, you know, to make the best bikes we possibly can. So this facility is really a huge step in the right direction for better quality, um, uh, better logistics, better costs, so that uh, hopefully eventually we can even bring prices down in the future. Um, so it kind of opens up a whole lot of doors, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, that's cool. That I think that last thing you just said, a lot of people's ears were will perk up on because a lot of the uh, a lot of the current comment trolls on the interwebs in the mountain bike <laughs> world are just uh, complaining constantly about pricing. Uh, obviously a ton of brands, maybe every single brand raised prices during the pandemic when there was a huge amount of demand and a lack of supply, um, and a bunch of other issues with everyone's supply chain. So what, just out of curiosity, what, what is kind of your, your take on that? I mean, it, cause to me, it seems like that might've got a little bit out of hand, but it was also economically reasonable, um, behind the scenes, which a lot of people don't have insight into cause these are all private companies on the other side of it too. Um, you know, how much better can bikes really get? They're, they're, they're pretty amazing. And so I think one of the next innovations is making them more sustainably, but also maybe also trying to find ways to get them at better price points for what you get. Um, what's your, what's your take on this? I could not agree more. I think it's pretty ridiculous how expensive bikes are. And I realize I'm saying that as the owner of a bike company that sells very expensive bikes. Um, but we've actually gotten feedback when, when we first launched, uh, back in 2019, we, everyone kind of said, why, why are your frames so cheap? And I said, well, they're priced where they should be, but it was almost, it was like, well, if your bikes aren't priced the same as, you know, some of our competitors, it, it's almost like a, a problem. So that was kind of a, a, a weird thing, but, um, no, it, I mean, I, I often say, uh, you know, business gets in the way of bikes a whole lot and we're all in the business of, of, of bikes. And so it's kind of a fun, a funny thing to, to balance those two things. Most of us are in, in this line of work because we love bikes and we're super passionate about bikes. We decide to start, you know, get, get into this as a, as a career. Um, and then, you know, at the same time, it's a business. So, 
uh, I feel pretty lucky at the end of the day that my job gets to be my my fun. Uh, but doing things like raising prices during COVID was not uh, not one of the more enjoyable parts of my job. Uh, some companies went went really aggressive with price increases. Um, we did two different price increases during COVID, and it was crazy. It was some of the more heated conversations in our conference room was how to increase prices, and we we had to. Um, looking back on it, I think we. Uh, we probably should have been a little bit more aggressive with price increases. Uh, you know, th- simple things, shipping, and you know, this is the same whether it's the bike industry or all kinds of other industries. But you know, the rough metrics were basically for the last I don't know ten or twenty years or something in the bike world. It cost about four thousand dollars to ship a twenty foot container from Taiwan or China to the United States. And that would fluctuate by a couple hundred dollars. Even before COVID, we'd always look at that stuff and, you know, hey, if we could get a container for 4000 instead of $4,300, you know, let's make 10 phone calls and try to figure out how to do that because that's good business. And then COVID happened and containers went to 5000 and 7000 I remember when they hit $8,000 and we were all thinking, oh, my, you know containers just doubled in cost. This is wild. Then it hit 12,000 and we all thought there's no way shipping could get more expensive. They, they went up to $24,000 to bring a container in. Um, a container will fit about 220 frames, depending on how you package it. So you do the math and that's a, you know, a few hundred dollars per, per frame, um, you know, add up all the other parts that go in there and just shipping alone was, you know, a massive, massive price increase in a very short period of time let alone all the other raw material price increases that were going on. So, you know, all these companies that were raising prices during COVID, um, f- from what I saw from everything over, you know, from the entire supply chain, is it was very, very justified. Now, we we raised prices and we said, hey, anybody who has an order in the, you know, who has already placed an order, even if they ordered a bike for six months away or nine months away, we said, great, we're still going to honor that original pricing that you got. So we actually kind of just, ate it. We ate all that extra shipping costs for, you know, a very long period of time, which, you know, we're a, a younger, smaller company and we want to do the right things. I think that's better for the long run. Um, but a lot of other companies didn't do that. They just said, uh, tomorrow you got to pay 15% more for everything. And that's, I don't think that's the right way to do stuff either, but you know, now things are much more mellow with the global supply chain. Shipping costs have, for the most part, come back down to normal. They're not quite there yet, but they're they're much closer. So um, I think now companies can start, fo- instead of putting all these resources towards supply chain and shipping, companies can now focus more on R&D and development and how to, you know, make the actual products uh, less expensive or better or a combination of the two. And hopefully that means in the next few years, bikes can hopefully get cheaper. And now a word from our sponsors. Quick note, middle of the podcast, Liam, Jared, and I are going on one epic trip to the Dolomite Mountains in Italy this September. Uh, There is only three spots available on this trip. It's a guided trip that's going to be put on by All Mountain Rides. Uh, This was a company that put together a mountain bike tour that I went on back in 2019 in New Zealand, and it was the most fun mountain bike trip I've ever been on in my life. This guy, Phil, who runs these trips is absolutely world-class. If you want to go, the link is in the show notes. There's three spots available. Uh, It's going to be amazing. September, Italy, ride mountain bikes with myself, Jared, and Liam. Jared, are you excited? Yes, probably more excited about a trip than I've been uh, in a long time. (laughs) Yes, I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah, I am over the moon excited. I can't wait to ride bikes with all my friends and meet new friends on this trip. Boom.
And now, back to the show. All right. More news. Uh, we've got a couple cool things to talk about with you remaining, Adam. Well, one really important thing, which we're going to drop this podcast on March 14th, which is the day you were going to announce the Rodeo Downhill Bike by Revel. Yeah. But you're calling it a concept bike. A concept bike. Oh, wow. Are you are you Honda or what are you? What are you? Yeah, we're we're a car. Is this the now. auto show? <laughs> Rebel, trying, Rebel bikes something and, new. Rebel bikes and cars. Yeah, Rebel no, bikes that's, and that's cars. a joke. That's not happening. <laughs> we're not a car company. No, <laughs> we're gonna stick with bikes. It's funny because it's a concept bike, but it's not electric. There is no motor in There's this. There's no motor, so it's called the Rodeo. It's a full blown downhill bike, and it's got some crazy things going on. Give us the give us the skinny. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about this one. It is a very different product launch than we've ever done before because the bike is not for sale. So we have been... <laughs> Good luck in the comments. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Yeah, great great for business too. Our finance team loves this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can't um, sell anything. We made a bike that we're not going to sell. Yeah. Uh, we're, we... we, we we did make a bike that we're not going to sell. We're, we're, we're calling it a concept bike, similar to, you know, a lot of car companies come out with cool new things they're trying and experimenting and just kind of show off because why not? It's fun. It's, it's fun. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's interesting. It's futuristic. Interesting. Very futuristic mm-hmm. and pretty cool to talk about. So I'm excited to talk about it here on this podcast. We um, made a downhill bike that is 3D printed thermoplastic made in America and it uses the CBF suspension platform. So it kind of checks a whole lot of boxes of, of pretty pretty cool stuff in, in, in my mind uh, from both a, a product standpoint, and uh, but really how it's made um, and really what that means for the future of how bikes could be made um, as this technology advances. 3D printed. Thermoplastic. Downhill bike. <laughs> wow. You guys are good. Come on, run that, run that in the marketing. Come on. Can you, can you that just was do cool. all the marketing for this? I'm going to film that. that <laughs> I'm just going to so, go back to making bikes. You guys can talk about it. So, the, this bike's 3D printed thermoplastic. So, your guys' wheels are also made out of a similar material, but it's not 3D printed. Correct. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, so thermoplastic is, is, is a type of composite. So traditional, well, basically our bikes, all carbon bikes that you see out there, we call them carbon bikes, but it's, uh, it's a thermoset carbon. Um, and that means it's, uh, carbon fibers with, uh, epoxy resin and the epoxy is the, the curing agent, the bonding agent to glue all those fibers together and make a really strong material. Um, thermoplastic is also a composite carbon, but it does not use epoxy for the curing agent. It uses a uh, plastic, a nylon, a PA6 or a PA12 or a peak or a PEC or all sorts of other really fancy versions of that. Um, and it, it's kind of the new wave in composites, uh, you know, Boeing, Airbus, all these, you know, big, big, big companies are using thermoplastics because of, uh, well, f- for all sorts of reasons. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a stronger material, has better impact resistance, but really the the biggest benefit, uh, I think, is the manufacturing processes and the efficiencies you can gain. Traditional thermoset carbon uh, requires a whole lot of human labor. Um, most of that is done in Asia. Our bikes are made in Asia, as are just about everything, um, every other uh, uh, bikes out there. Um, 
thermoplastic uh, allows for a whole lot more kind of freedom with how things are made. So our fusion fiber wheels are made in Utah uh, with the very robotic manufacturing process. Uh, Things are cut out with robots. The material is laid up uh, uh, robotically, so there's no human error uh, in there. You can make a much more consistent product. Uh, It goes into a mold. It's it's cured in about 20 seconds rather than 45 minutes, so there's a whole lot uh, less energy that goes into making those products. So it's a more environmentally friendly manufacturing process. It's much cleaner. Epoxy has, is full of all sorts of bad chemicals that people can breathe in and, you know, could, could leak into the, uh, environment and epoxy is kind of the bad part of, of traditional carbon. So thermoplastics have a whole lot of really cool benefits. Um, and they're also, they can be recycled a whole lot easier. So our wheels are fully recyclable. We have a full process for how that material gets uh, recycled, uh, really downcycled, and it can be turned into all sorts of other products. So we were the first company to launch these uh, fusion fiber thermoplastic wheels back in 2020. We actually also launched those right around this time of year and showed them off at the Sedona Bike Fest for the first time. So this is a we have special a, event for us. We have a YouTube video all about those wheels. Just a note. It's a good one. <laughs> Jared just laughing at me. That saves me going into all the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if if you really want to know more about those, <laughs> yeah. uh, we, myself, Jared, Liam, we spent a lot of time riding those wheels and enjoying those wheels and made a whole YouTube video about them because it was interesting. Um, just the manufacturing process was cool. So, so that, yeah, that, and those wheels got us excited because they're, they're just awesome in so many different ways and it kind of opens up this whole new world for how to make cool stuff, whether it's bikes or airplanes or anything. So we started looking at other thermoplastic options and... A few years ago, I discovered a, a factory called Arivo, uh, based out in California, and they had developed technology to 3D print thermoplastic. Uh, and so I reached out to them, and we started a relationship, and I said, I want to make a bike with you guys. I think this seems really cool. Uh, we have some pretty neat ideas for bike design. Uh, we use the CBF suspension system. I wanted to make a downhill bike. I can go into kind of the backstory a little bit more. Uh, and they were amazing. They said, yeah, let's do it. This hasn't been done before. Uh, and let's try it out. So we got a really cool partnership with this factory that has all sorts of crazy technology. Um, and we worked together to create, uh, the world's first 3d printed full suspension bike. And it was actually a downhill bike with CBF suspension. So I thought it was pretty cool. So what is the reason behind concept bike? The idea, cause everyone's just going to be, Oh, why is it available? Why can't I buy it? So the the reason is it's not quite ready to ride just yet. It's like a thing. It, there's you have photos of it, videos of it, but it's not quite perfect. Correct. Okay. It's not ready to sell. The technology is not there yet. I think it will be in the next. I don't know if it's one or two years or three or four years. It's it's hard to say. Yeah. Um, it has a ton of promise. If we were making a road bike, and actually uh, this factory did make some, some more road-oriented products, it's there. It's ready to go. Um, where we're at right now is it, it would be ready to sell in the next few months if price was not a factor. Um, it's way too expensive today to sell this bike. Uh, but it has the promise to be very reasonably priced, you know, on par with current bikes and in the future getting mm. getting even lower cost than current bikes with scale because the material and the machine time makes sense. Right now it's so new, there's so much engineering time that needs to go into programming the machine, showing how that 3D print head actually puts the fibers down, where those carbon fibers go. And so you got a team of really, really smart engineers working on this stuff and 
um, that's the part that's expensive right now. So we figured, you know what? This is going to be a, a good bit longer until it's ready to bring to the market and actually sell it. Let's show it off as a concept bike. Let's show off what we've been working on. It's kind of cool. It's fun to talk about. Um, and I get excited about what it means for the future of how bikes are made. Yeah. Let, let's just let's just run a hypothetical here. Uh, I'm not Jeff Cayley. I'm Jeff Bezos. Uh-oh. And I want to buy it because I got plenty of money. <laughs> <laughs> It'll look good on your yacht. Yeah, it's going to look good on one of my yachts. Mm-hmm. On, on a yachts. sea sucker on his Rivian. Yeah. That's, you know, yeah. What's this going to cost me? Ooh. 20 grand? More than a Rivian. A <laughs> <laughs> grand. I, you know, so, grand. so the mountain biker logic of the bike is still more than the car yeah. pans out. Totally. You know, I think I purposely <laughs> haven't done the math to figure out what it would cost it's, yeah, because it I know sense. it's just so expensive. Um, but it's way too expensive. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think it's a, a smart move for you to say, hey, this is a concept bike, this technology, let me tell you all about it. It's really interesting. Uh, as opposed to saying, like, this is our new bike. It's $60,000. <laughs> Put your pre-order in now and you'll get it in two years. Yeah, <laughs> probably, yeah, $60,000 and you'll get it in two to six but, years. Yeah. $1,000 deposit, yeah. you know, kind of oh, like... That's a good plan. Some we'll, of those we'll really do. copy everything that car companies do. Yeah. So that's just the concept car. We'll do the deposit thing. Yeah. Um, so I imagine it's not just your average 3D printer that, you know, anybody can buy that, that does this. It is highly proprietary, and that's where I, I felt very lucky to partner up with Arivo because it's their technology. They invented how this 3D print head lays down thermoplastic carbon fibers into a structurally strong shape. And that's, that's a huge step um, in the right direction for making all types of different products for all types of different industries. Um, but no, one, it is not at the point where someone could buy a 3D printer on, on you know, different situation different situation it appears totally but i mean it's cool because you guys were the first company launch launch these wheels with the fusion fiber you know this thermoplastic uh type of wheel and now you're kind of the first bike brand to release this at least to the public right um even though it's not for sale you guys are the first one to show that you're working on it and you guys can make a bike and it is rideable it's just not feasible to buy currently yeah yeah exactly so i mean for i kind of you know i I started this business because i love making bikes and figuring out how to make them and you know one of the things i have the most fun with is just okay we have a concept we have an idea now let's go make it and i've gotten to travel all over the world to china and taiwan and vietnam and work in these factories uh to make bikes and so it's always fun to figure out new ways to make things and in my mind, I don't want to just be a bike company that comes out with a product just because there's some market share to be had or because we think we can just, you know, sell X number of them. You know, we want to make a product because we care about it and we think we can do some things maybe a little bit better than some other brands. And a lot of that comes down to frame features like, you know, geometry or, uh, you know, suspension kinematics. But a, a huge part of it for me comes down to how that product is actually made. And that's where the fusion fiber wheels or this 3D printed process um are really exciting to me. So this is a, a total passion project for our company. It, it was pretty fun to go, you know, hop on an airplane and fly to, uh, you know, Milpitas and, and uh, Silicon Valley to get, to go make a bicycle. You know, that's not <laughs> normal. Um, and, and we got to do it. So we learned a ton. And, and I think that's what's just as exciting about this project. It's we made it knowing there is a lot of risks. We made it and we didn't say, okay, we have a 18 month development time and we're going to start selling this on, you know, March 14. And this is going to be the, you know, 
dollars and every, you know, we just said, Hey, we're going to try this. And if it works out fantastic, if it doesn't work out, we will have learned a whole lot in the process. And we just decided to let's show off what we were doing because bikes are fun at the end of the day. Yeah. I, I admire you guys just being honest and transparent and, and showing how this thing is made, what's going on, who's doing what, and I don't know, making it a concept bike because I can't recall anyone ever saying this is a concept. We might come out with this one day. Yeah. Nobody does that in the bike world. Well, our, our team spent a lot of time on it. Our, our, our engineering team put hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours into this thing um, and designed this beautiful, phenomenal bike. And so I think it's pretty cool to kind of show it off to say like, hey, this is, this is awesome. Yeah. Like, it, and, yeah. And it, it's actually, well, and we haven't talked much about how it's a, it's a downhill bike. Um, which to me is kind of half the fun that we, it probably would have been easier for us to, you know, make a bike, say, a you know, all mountain or enduro bike, uh, that maybe had lower testing standards than a bike made to go do Red Bull rampage and do backflips and all sorts of crazy stuff. But the idea was, Hey, one, we wanted a downhill bike too. Let's make the most difficult bike we can, because to prove this type of manufacturing, this, this concept, let's make a bike that people are going to do crazy stuff on. And if we can do that, then we know we can apply the, the technology to other products. So maybe it was more expensive and slower and whatever in the beginning. But to me, that's a good long-term plan for really learning, um, learning about a new material, learning about a new manufacturing process, but the, the downhill bike concept or just the idea for making a downhill bikes, uh, started back in, it was 2019. Um, we went to an outer bike in Bentonville, Arkansas, and Chris Canfield came with us because Chris Canfield invented CBF, Canfield Balance Formula, the suspension patent that we use on our bikes and that we... And he is a legitimate downhill racer, and that was uh, his original passion. So that's why I was the most excited to be like, oh, it's a downhill bike with CBF. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean... Speaking of videos, we have a full video on the CBF suspension platform. Um, with Chris Canfield. Yeah, Chris Canfield's yep. in it, and he explains a lot of it in that video. And uh, yeah, he is—he's kind of a, a serious downhill guy first, and enduro guy second. I would say. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe that's wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Oh yeah, yeah. He and yeah. he has a he has a World Cup jersey that he. Yeah, got. yeah. No, he's he's, he's, he's a clear. legitimate downhill. He's, he's really fast. Going, going yeah. oh. He just just won Masters World Champs. Yeah, like a year or two ago. Yeah, so, so to see yeah. a CBF downhill bike, I was like, ooh, and then it's like, oh, this crazy 3D printed thing made in California? I was yeah. like, wow. Well, and we're going to go ride with Chris Canfield tomorrow. So yeah. it'll be fun oh to try to chase him down. God. It's on, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, yeah, before we even launched the Revel brand, Chris Canfield was like, all right, when are you making a downhill bike? When are you making a downhill yeah, bike? Yeah, I'm sure. And, and uh, I had, you know, we launched with two models and a, a kind of all mountain bike and an enduro bike. Uh, but Chris was just couldn't wait for us to make a downhill bike. Yeah. So we were sitting, we, we were at this outer bike event to show off the bikes back, you know, early on, like six months after we launched the company and Chris was there to, you know, help, you know, talk to, you know, show off the bikes and talk about CBF. And it rained like I don't, the most rain I've ever seen ever. So they shut down outer bike, which is eerily similar to here today. at <laughs> yeah. sit on a bike fest where it snowed a foot. And we, so we were sitting in this coffee shop in, in Bentonville with nothing to do. And Chris said, all right, let's, let's talk about this downhill bike. And we sat there and he, you know, drew out the suspension kinematics in this coffee shop and said, here you go. Like, let's, you know, <laughs> that's, make most, a that's the most bike. epic thing to do. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. When was the last time you just drew out suspension kinematics in a coffee shop, Jared? Well, 
I wouldn't tell you because my all of my kinematic drawings are secret. <laughs> you have to sign a non-disclosure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, That's right. Looking at the bike, uh, when this podcast goes live, we will have a article as well on our website with photos of this bike, but it looks pretty, pretty rad. It looks good. Looks good. It looks really good. Yeah. 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 Chris did a great job. And we did a couple of neat things. Um, there's mounts for two water bottles, two small water bottles, to be fair, uh, a Fidlock or the, the, the smaller yeah. bottle size. Which is also good for suspension testing data. Which that's Absolutely. What a lot of downhill bikes have those mounts for. Yep. Yeah. You can mount all sorts of stuff. You can carry your, you know, spare tube or tools or whatever and there's just a lot of room there the suspension kinematics are pretty neat chris uh was quite excited about this layout uh, cbf really shines on long travel bikes it does so good at just tracking the ground and, and the kind of the uh underrated part of cbf in my mind is the braking characteristics when you go grab your back brake a lot of suspension systems will sort of push you over the bars or pull you down or lock up the rear wheel so you don't get as much traction as you're going over bumpy terrain. Um, and Chris has done an incredible job with the CBF system of really disengaging the braking forces from the suspension. So as you get into longer travel on a downhill bike, you notice that even more. I want to buy it now. Well, <laughs> it'll look great on your yacht next to Jeff Mason. It would, would look really good there. Ah, it looks so good. It looks so good. I'm waiting for yeah. this company yacht. That's what I'm talking about. Right? <laughs> Any day now. Yeah. I think we're going to need to sell some other things. We oh. have a company raft that Raffle. Um, That's pretty close to a yacht. It's, yeah. it's a little smaller. It's uh, inflatable. I've personally had <laughs> a really good time on that company yacht. So. Same here. Yeah, we've all had some great times on yeah. that yacht. Um, Why if, don't you name that raft yacht? That's a good idea. Oh, yeah. was it? I think it was the, the first time yacht. we visited Revel. We actually went on your guys' raft in the river there. You mean yacht? Yeah. You mean yacht? The yacht. The yacht. Yeah. It the was, company yacht. I think it was about 100 degrees outside, so we didn't really want to go biking. So we we did a short mountain bike ride, and then we just went on a raft. <laughs> and then we went to the rodeo. 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 And then we went to the local bar until it shut down. It was a great time. Yeah, that was a good time. Great it, was a, it was a that was a time. good trip. That was a good Colorado trip. Yeah, that was, was my favorite business trip. We should do that again this summer. Yeah, we we well, what was the situation there? We we <laughs> went to, we flew into Grand Junction. The plan was to go to Revel, to hang out with Adam, talk to the guys, quote unquote uh, work, quote unquote <laughs> work. We, we were supposed we were gonna to film some stuff work, and not like quote unquote and do some work. things. We were supposed to actually work, and then we just did a quick mountain bike ride, did a raft trip, and then went to a rodeo. And then drank too much, stayed up too late. And we were yeah. supposed to, well, yeah, we were supposed to film, but we had to go to Crested Butte like the next day. Yeah, and then we went and to a Chasing Epic because trip. Because we were out so late, we overslept. Mainly Jeff overslept. <laughs> and um, not waking up early. Where we were supposed to like film the next day, which was poor. That plan. wasn't going to be good for anyone. Yeah, no, no, so who planned that? So then we ended up having to book it to uh, Crested Butte. We did our Chasing Epic trip in Crested Butte. And then we had to add another day onto that trip, I think, to come back to Revel to mm -hmm. actually do the work we weren't supposed to <laughs> yeah, the we first time. to do yeah. several days prior. Yeah. Business trips in the bike industry. It's rough. <laughs> rough. 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 <laughs> Super rough. Yeah. Well, and, and our downhill bike is named the Rodeo in large yeah. part because yeah. of the Rodeo that we all went to. Yeah. yeah. I've never been to a Rodeo until that. It it's, was the first Rodeo. 
That was our, that that was was our first that rodeo. That literally first was rodeo. our first rodeo. That was our first rodeo. We didn't God, make that joke, joke that once the entire time. No, yeah. never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this this bike looks rad. Um, what, do, what do you think in, in terms of, so you're calling it a concept bike. It could come out in several years from now. But what do you what do you think in terms of all bike brands making components and especially the frame out of more sustainable, more cost-effective, more efficient processes. Is that kind of like the overall end goal here? Cause that's, that's personally what I would like to see. It's, absolutely. I mean, that, that's, what's so exciting about this. And the fact that we get to work towards that goal, that goal and at the same time, make a downhill bike to me, that's pretty, pretty fun. I mean, that's yeah. pretty cool. Um, more more sustainable more cost effective um you know made whether it's made in america or made in asia in my mind whatever makes the best product where you know the people are proud to make those products they're treated well um it's more environmentally friendly if we can do all those things a little bit better to me that's that's a huge win at the end of the day yeah um so th- what's what's really cool too about this 3d printing process so thermoplastic alone is just incredible i mean all sorts of uh, yes, we're going to see more bikes and more components made out of this material. Uh, has an excellent ride characteristics, excellent impact resistance, um, and the environmental and cost benefits um, are there and will certainly improve over time as the technology improves. Uh, but what's neat about this 3D printing part of it to me is what it means for the future. So theoretically, this this bike is made with no molds. So normal thermoset carbon frame requires a gigantic, expensive, heavy set of steel, usually steel, molds and so you design your geometry you make your molds and that's what the bike is with 3d printing you don't need a mold there's no costs costs to set things up so theoretically in the not too distant future we could make this downhill bike and let's just say either a sponsored athlete or a customer or one of us said you know what i like the geometry you came up with but instead of a 475 millimeter reach i want a 478 millimeter reach on my downhill bike our engineers could go in, make some adjustments to the model, press print, and it would go get printed. And so you could make a custom geometry or custom kinematic carbon fiber bike. And to me, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. cool. Yeah. And that, just to clarify, that's like the way current carbon bikes are made with the mold is not at all possible. Oh, You'd have to open up a whole new mold, which is thousands and thousands <laughs> of dollars. Then instead of costing a... 80 grand, it would be 250. Yeah, a little more. 250 grand to get you a custom geo bike. Yeah. Jeff Bezos might buy one. Daddy Bezos, dude. Come on, Bezos, yeah. let's go. He'll buy that. Maybe I that's why he doesn't mountain bike. It's it's too cheap for him. Yeah. <laughs> we just cracked the code. Yeah. We need to make, bikes, make bikes that are expensive enough more for expensive. Bezos. Yeah. Right. Yeah. New mission. Exactly. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I can't stop thinking about Daddy Bezos and what he's what he's thinking about right now. Hopefully he's probably listening. not bikes, but hopefully maybe bikes. Yeah, probably not. Bikes. I could be wrong. Maybe he does ride bikes. I don't know. Doesn't look like it though. He's pretty yoked. Yeah, as he's, a re- that's kind of a HGH and the yeah. whatever else the other anti aging drugs all those billionaires are into these days. Yeah, seems nice. Fountain of youth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have a question, Adam. <laughs> Um, yes, Liam. Right now, your the rims, the Revel rims, um, are made in the USA and or in Utah. Um, with this thermoplastic, is this thermoplastic technology at all uh, being found or made in Asia currently? Yep, it is. 
Yeah, and we've actually experimented with a few places over there too. So, um, yeah, I, per, I I love the global economy. I think it's really cool to go to different different places, different countries, different cultures, and and work with different people. Uh, you know, everybody has has different strengths, and I think that's pretty pretty fun to explore. Um, in my mind, you know, we 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 make products in in few in Colorado, uh, but Utah, California, Taiwan, China, Vietnam, and in my mind, that's just super fun. Like that's a super fun part of my job. We work with just fantastic people that really care about what they're doing. I'm really proud of the factories that we, that we do work with in, in all these places. Um, most of the thermoplastic, uh, exploration and research and development is taking place right here in America. Uh, the it's there's quite a few you know really really innovative things going on with the 3d printing or with the robotic manufacturing there, there's some a lot of stuff going on in, in europe as well um but there are a few factories as well in taiwan and in china that are looking into this it's it's a logical next step in composites evolution for all industries and there's loads of money being poured into this by you know companies slightly bigger than the bike industry um and our companies you know boeing and airbus and and are, are doing a lot with thermoplastics. So because of that, there's tons of innovation going on. And to me, it's pretty cool that we can kind of, you know, slot into some of these factories that are making parts for, you know, an Airbus jet. And here we are making, you know, some bike parts over in the corner. It's, it's, it's kind of neat. Wow. Super neat. Yeah. That's cool. Can't wait. The future is bright. Hopefully we'll get you a downhill bike soon, Jeff. That would be nice. I'll try my best. I just recently have been riding a longer travel bike than I've ridden in a long time. I'm kind of addicted to the Revel Ranger. Like, that's just what I ride all the time. And then I'm now riding a little bit longer travel bike. And I'm like, hey, these are pretty fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's weird. I forgot yeah. about this. <laughs> I, I honestly thought that. I was like, I forgot about this. Like, this is pretty sick. I like hold this. on. It, it kind of does like, a lot. You can do a lot. Well, maybe, you know, Trump's need to bring a longer thing. travel bike to Whistler this yeah. year. Oh, well, I'll bring two bikes. Two bikes. Oh, the Ranger, Ranger and a downhill bike. The Ranger and the Rodeo. Ranger and the Rodeo. I'm going to pay 250 grand for the Rodeo. You're going to ride a Ranger <laughs> and Squamish. You're going to pay 250 grand. <laughs> It'll be a really good I'm gonna investment. Try, I'm going to go to the Wells Fargo and ask for a $250,000 loan to buy a bicycle. It'll make that day at Whistler really fun. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> worth it. Whistler. So, so worth it. I'll just befriend Jeff Absolutely. Bezos and figure it out from there. That's smarter. We could all do that. Yeah. Then we could make this bike maybe a little faster. <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. All right. Well, Adam, uh, if, if people want to bug you with a couple other Revel questions, are you willing to tell them your personal Instagram handle so they can be like, hey, man, how'd you get your uh, colors? Yeah. Tell me about CBF. And then you can just send them a link to a CBF video that we made. That you guys made. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, I think, have explained CBF better than we have explained CBF. So we'll absolutely. That's, I mean, honestly, that. that's what we're – I'm glad to hear you say that because we, we try to do that. We We try to find a way to – uh, actually, Liam coined this. It was uh, what was it? It was it was sort of advanced rider approved, but digestible by the novice rider. Something of Ooh. you said it actually way better than that. But it was I'm Liam. impressed. I said that. <laughs> you, you, you said something really good one day, and oh I God, actually put nice. it. In, I put it in our YouTube channel description because, like, actually, that makes a lot of sense. Because oh, demystifying the world of mountain biking is that it? It was further yeah. down the description because oh, yeah. I, I wanted. Uh, I thought that was really good. You said that one time, and I was like, oh, I'm going to put that. YouTube description because we try to make our YouTube videos sort of the beginning of them, the first half of them be a lot more 
sort of high level and digestible by the novice rider and maybe someone who's not super nerdy into the bike industry and bikes in general, and then the latter half of them be a little bit more nerdy and hopefully give you the viewpoint of a of a true like long term mountain biker industry person. Um, I don't know. So I, I I try to structure our content to sort of progressively go that direction. Um, makes sense in the beginning to where it makes sense for the novice rider and then progressively slide into, uh, actually makes a lot of sense for that, like super bike industry nerd, whatever. Well, that's, that's a huge reason I like working with you guys because we get so, you know, laser focused looking at our computers, whether it's engineering or suspension kinematics or supply chain or, yeah, a lot of companies do. They're just like, so into the CAD models and solid works. And so it's harder for us to, you know, how do we talk about that? Well, we're just looking at, you know, is is the anti-rise, you know, 102% or like, who cares? (laughs) Like, like we just want to make a good bike, but well, a few people care, but 97 other people don't. So you got to talk to everyone. So you can help us. You can help explain that. But those 97 (laughs) other people do want a bike that rides well. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone cares about something. They just need to hear it in a certain way that makes sense to them. Yeah. Right. And then to go on your point, along with the way we structure our content, the third tier of that is we always have an accompanying article on our website that also goes even deeper into the nerd specs um, and all that stuff that you can also read and look at photos as well. So, and I love looking at the nerd specs. That's fantastic. I do too. Like that's because you guys are those guys. <laughs> we're, the, we're the nerds. You guys are those guys. <laughs> that's, that's us. Um, Michael you, over here monitoring the GoPro. <laughs> he just wants to watch the first half of the YouTube video and get the gist, right? Get a good bike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just wants the good bike. He just wants a good bike. Everybody wants we'll a good bike. Yeah. Nobody wants a bad bike. Yeah. That's, that's true. Yes. That's my, if you want to ask me questions on my personal Instagram, I believe it's adam.miller907. What is nine, what's nine zero seven year old motocross race number? Or what is that? Oh, I wasn't that cool. No, it's it's it's. I'm from Alaska originally. It's the Alaska area code. So, ah, uh, nice. one of those states that has one Alaska. area code for the whole state. So <laughs> that's know, wild. I've, I've, actually, to think about that is impressive. <laughs> it's not a big well. It's a big state. Not a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Well, ask away. Happy to chat. Cool. Yeah, I, I always tell people that, you know, if people want to hit me on in personal Instagram, myself, Jared Lee, and we all kind of divulge our personal Instagrams and say, like, I mean, not that many people are going to abuse it, at least at this size. We're, we've been all right so far, right? Yeah. 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 Not too bad. Manageable. I usually do uh, voice dictation replies while I'm on the toilet. That's how I reply to all my Instagram messages. <laughs> That's efficient. That's a good idea. 100%, dude. I'm it all about efficiency. You want to talk about efficiency? efficiency. I'll talk to you about efficiency. You're, you're the expert. Yeah. <laughs> On most things. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting ready in the morning. Nope. I would rather just lounge around, get ready slow, have two cups of coffee, and ride at 1130. How about brushing your teeth? I've thought about all that. Yeah. Well, okay. Just real quick before we end this podcast, I have thought about... So what I do when I brush my teeth, I do a hip flexor stretch because there's basically only one other thing you can multitask while brushing your teeth properly, and it's stretching stretching of some kind for me it's hip flexors they get tight when you sit left flexor when i brush my top teeth and the right hip flexor when i brush my bottom teeth um yeah and i do the 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 full round and i stretch stretch hip flexors and so i got it perfect and then you get at least so two minutes in the morning of hip flexor stretch and two minutes in the evening of hip flexor stretch do you think that if you brushed your teeth twice as fast you could save half the time so 
you know, now we're getting even deeper into this. But I, I did do that. Yeah. I tried to brush my it's teeth. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. tried to brush my teeth ultra fast, and I actually got gum recession. I was, oh, like, no. damaging my gums because I was brushing my teeth so fast. Well, you're, you can't, this you is can't an be I know, it's just, too aggressive with your gums. You, well, I, I was. You should. And, and my dentist was like, you got to have that gum replaced now. You've just botched the one in the back. And I had to get uh, material or flesh removed from the top of my oh, mouth graft. and, really? and grafted into my gum. Yeah. That's bad. So there's that such bad. a thing as too efficient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Too efficient slash too aggressive. So I'm, I'm much more gentle with my toothbrushing now. I go the full two minutes okay. at proper pace and I stretch my hip flexors no. at the same time. Realistically. I, and listen to a podcast. Saving two I, minutes is, you know, marginal. You, you yeah. should do it. Traveling with Jeff, you do learn some stuff and I have personally impl- implemented a few things from traveling with Jeff into my life, and one of them is a hip flexor stretch while brushing teeth. Yeah, at least yeah. stretch something while you're brushing. If your you teeth. travel, you're sitting either in a plane or a car, and then you need to stretch your hip flexors after that. What yeah. better time to do it than brushing your teeth? It's a good lesson learned. Even mid mm-hmm. mid uh, plane ride, you know, long plane rides, oh, just yeah, get up in the aisle, stretch the hip, stretch, stretch the it hip out. Flexors. Lesson learned. Yeah, yeah. This is so great. in a few in a few weeks. We'll be doing that. Oh yeah, we're going. We're going to go on a good trip in a few weeks. Yeah. Yep. Liam's going to Taiwan uh, on behalf of Trail One and tagging along with the Revel Crew. Can't wait. So. Yeah, I need help. <laughs> I've been telling. I've been. I've been telling Liam to train and drink more sake and have other things and drink. Really more drink sake. Sake I haven't done there? any of it. I'm currently drinking, and I don't often do that. So. Oh, that's something. So we'll get him another one after this, and we'll yep. keep training you. We'll keep we'll keep practicing. We'll get ready for the trip. We're gonna have a good time. We're gonna go to a bunch of yeah. factories. We're gonna see stuff. And how stuff's made. We're gonna go to the Taipei show. It's gonna be. I can't wait. Yeah, that's right. I'm really stoked. That's cool. So we're gonna make bikes. See how see how bikes are made. Yeah. What's good fun? luck? Jared and I will be drinking pina coladas in Maui. <laughs> Do you like pina coladas? <laughs> <laughs> If you have listened this far, thank you very much. We genuinely appreciate it. Uh, if you have any questions you want us to answer on the podcast, please email them to podcast at worldwidecyclery.com and Jared himself. I will answer. Read those. Read them, yeah. And he'll put them in the question doc if they're worthy. <laughs> Send us your <laughs> worthy really questions. We're not going to answer <laughs> Or if you just need uh, help with a, I don't know, a certain component selection or, or bike choice, then then maybe I'll just reply and I'll give you my two cents. Yeah, that too. And we're all available on Instagram and happy to continue answering listener questions as we do on the normal podcast. Although this one we had Adam. So thank you, Adam, for uh, taking time out of your day to come to our Sedona converted garage Airbnb <laughs> with bunk beds in the background, which you can see on YouTube if you're watching right now. Uh, our humble abode. And at least, but not last, as Jared has coined, uh, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify it really helps our podcast out, and we appreciate that. Um, and if you screenshot the review and email it to podcast at worldwidecyclery.com, we'll give you a $15 gift card to Worldwide Cyclery, <laughs> redeemable on any product of your choice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, and we will see you guys in the next episode. Cheerio. Right. Love you. Go.